Welcome everyone to this edition of the Nikafa. Our huddle includes everyone 65 for 65 podcast series. And on this episode, we have a special guest, a uh, a bit of a local legend in the uh, football circles here, and uh, a man that happens to have a football field named after him in the West End. Canada coach, ex-president, administrator, basically jack-of-all-trades, Bob Barr joins us on today's podcast. That coming up in just a moment. I think we hey, did Bob. it. We did it. We did it. Yeah. Oh, it could be some. Uh, it's. It's. I, I. I. like to say it's the most uh, challenging, straightforward uh, app I've, I've ever used. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward, but at the same time, it's. Uh, I, I have challenges on every podcast, so we did. Uh, we did pretty well, actually, because that was only our second try. You can trust me if you check with Matt Dakaris. Uh, Quite a few times. How are you, buddy? I'm excellent, thank you. And yourself? I'm doing well, thanks. I'm doing well. You can hear me okay? Yes, absolutely. Yep. Perfect. So, as I mentioned to people before we uh, jumped on, I have ex Canada Knight President Bob Barr with us. And, Bob, please refresh my memory. When you were with the Knights, um, you, were ne- you were never the president with them when they were the Hares. They'd already become the Knights when you. Uh, yeah, I was pres- president one night. Uh, one year as as the knights, not as the hares. Okay, okay. No, perfect, perfect. So let's kind of uh, backtrack and go back, uh, kind of back up and look at your your past or your involvement with football in the nation's capital, then uh, get some of your thoughts on the way it kind of evolved during the time you were involved. And well, uh, just just for clarification, I still am. Yeah, no, and you know, and I keep saying that, and I know you are. I know you coach at this, so I do apologize. That's okay, and and. I, that it's you when we talked and i know you are so again it's always uh you know i think it's sometimes it's when uh, guys like matt and myself get together um you know we kind of remember from back in the day the, the way it was back in the day we forget that a lot of you guys still coaching uh, even though we've gotten into coaching you, you you're still doing it yeah uh, very much appreciated so i'll kind of back up what kind of got you your start in um in football let's say like how uh where were you did you play as a young well i i grew up in virginia my okay. uh, my dad got transferred there with the canadian government and i discovered pop warner football nice and i played pop warner for four years and um then i got too old for it so i had to try out for high now i was a year a year ahead in high school okay so beanpole me shows up to try out for the high school team at about 120 pounds to play offensive line. Hmm. That wasn't nice. going to work. That wasn't going to work. No. So I, I, I took a hiatus from uh, football from that point, from a participant perspective um, as an observer uh, with an exception of uh, when I joined the Canadian Navy, we, we actually put a, a, a special, uh, East West game together when I was in basic training. So I played one game there and then that was it uh, until uh, Curtis came along. And when he was about eight years old, a buddy of his down the street said, Hey, there's this uh, team called the Hares looking for players. You want to come out? So I took him uh, over to pump house where we were parking our cars to light up the field at that point. And I uh, was yeah. sitting there watching, and this uh, 
nice gentleman by the name of Ken Charter came over and said, well, if you're here, you might as well come hold a bag. And that was it. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, uh, um, you know, Ken can convince anybody of anything very quickly and you feel good about doing it as well. He could, he, he definitely had that effect on people. Oh, he Makes was a great smile. guy. Uh, awesome guy. And it's funny because I mean, one of the things is it's uh, I, I like the story you tell about how you kind of get started with, with Ken and for guys that are of, uh, I guess you could say of my age group that were involved in Canada. So it'll be, it won't be a lot of us, but it'll be a few that were kind of played. We're lucky enough to play for, uh, under that we have a smile when you tell that story because you can just you can I, I can just perfectly picture uh uh coach charter going over to one of the parents or the way he does that in this engaging way that he had um yeah no very great guy great guy yeah. all right so you you end up doing that you jump in curtis um for everybody uh is, is your son and we'll talk about where he kind of went on to know because i know he kind of uh leverage what he was doing with the uh with the calf on to uh, uh kind of next level things with football yep. but now yourself you kind of you start off holding the bag so to speak where did it evolve from there well um very quickly like we had a lot of experience uh even on that team it was ken uh oh gosh who well mike mcguire of course um mm-hmm. uh, rick dury all of those guys had been around and, and uh, others had been around for a year or two. And uh, Ken was the first guy to say, you know, uh, we can show you some stuff, but they're already starting to run some clinics here. You might be interested in going to some of those. So that's when I started getting into uh, oh, the certification cool. program. And that's where I really started to learn stuff. That's where I was lucky enough to meet Bob Steven uh, and a whole bunch of other really great coaches through the years that came out to the workshops to, to teach us. Okay. And then it was a matter of applying it to back on the field and always making sure that I surrounded myself with people that were smarter than me. <laughs> yeah. You know what? A lot of people, have, you know, that gives me a common theme with a lot of people that uh, have success and enjoy what they're doing when it comes to coaching on the field and stuff. Yeah. And so, I mean, no, that's interesting. And again, it shows the, uh, the kind of, you know, how it's, uh, it seems like a long time ago, but when you talk football generations, how uh, how quickly they come and go or how quickly it, it kind of passes just because now you're connecting me with uh, all uh, all gentlemen that coached me. Like, uh, so we're going back sometimes. And so, I mean, it feels like a long time ago, but you realize in a football life, it's not that long ago. Yeah. What were your um, kind of get when you got on board as you got more and more involved. I mean, you had a bit of a football background from your Virginia day, but this kind of got from your Virginia days, this kind of got you, um, I don't want to say reignited, but got you involved with it. What was your initial thoughts with, um, and, and again, there was some separation or there was some, obviously a length of time between when you were a youth playing Pop Warner to when you were a parent in, uh, in, uh, in Canada, but did you notice any similarities, anything remind you of your Pop Warner days or anything that you brought from your Pop Warner days that you thought, Hey, we can kind of build on this here. Well, I, w- I was very lucky. Um, there was a, a gentleman named Jim Russell that was the head coach of my, my Pop Warner team in Virginia. And his, um mantra for playing is everybody plays and I don't care what happens. I don't like as far as the final result is concerned. It doesn't matter. You're here to play the game of football and learn it. 
And I always kind of carried that with me in the back of my head. And then it, I guess it was probably like the first or second practice with the hairs. And I was talking to the coaches and then that's when Ken was saying, well, if you want to come out and help us, you have to understand we're not about wins and losses here. We're about playing the game and making sure that the kids learn and have a good time and the rest will come with it. And so I've just carried that. I, and anybody that knows me says one of the things that I have said every year is I've never had a losing season ever because I never keep track of whether we won or lost. I just keep track of how are the kids doing? How did they develop? How did they turn out? And that's all I've ever really cared about. No, it's very refreshing. Unfortunately, it's not an approach you, uh, it, it seems like common sense or like it should be the approach just uniformly taken, but you don't see it all the time. So it's, uh, it's nice to hear you kind of reiterate it and, and kind of approach it that way. Now, speaking of uh, kind of going from the coaching portion over to the, um, let's say more the, the admin side, how did you kind of grow in that role with Canada? Well, uh, uh, one of the biggest things that helped with that was the level three certification that was involved, involved at the time, uh, which, okay. which was a really tough course. And part of that was building an entire program. It wasn't just coaching. It was getting the support mechanisms in place uh, and all the other things that needed to be done. So I, as I started to spend more time with the club, uh, I just started interacting with the executive more. And it was similar to what I was doing in my job with digital. I had a management role there. And uh, I found that if you wanted to get something done on the field, you had to set up the groundwork to make it happen first. Um, right. And right. So it, it kind of led me there. I mean, it's not something that uh, I can say it was my, my real strength, but I was glad I was able to learn it um, to the point where, as a club, and it was still the hairs at the time, our biggest complaint that we had no lights. Mm-hmm. So we sat down as a as a management kind of team and put a plan together, and uh, we put the lights in at the Earl of March. Well, I remember that. Uh, I remember well. <laughs> I benefit on. I benefited on two levels, both as a. Uh, as a Canada March hare, as we were called, and uh, and afterwards as an Earl of March Lions. So yeah. <laughs> trust me, I'm one of the first, first groups to thank you. And it's actually funny. One of the cool things is, I don't know if you had a chance. I think you might have. Um, when Earl and uh, Earl used to play against AY uh, night games, it would be one night game a year. And you'd actually get uh, American-type crowds in terms of the size because it wouldn't – I mean, you're going back Canada 30-some-odd years ago. So, I mean, it wasn't nearly as big, not nearly as much to do on a uh, on a Thursday or Friday at 7 p.m. So you'd have one game a year between those two or some other team that Earl would play. And, I mean, the thanks to the lights, they would have the night game. And it actually turned out to be a pretty uh, a pretty ruckus and cool environment. So, Well, I, I remember the very first one. We had, we had actually proposed uh, – we had actually uh, contacted the principals of both schools – and said one of the problems we had as parents is we never get to see our kids play because you play at like three o'clock in the afternoon and we all can't get away. So have you ever thought about having a night game now that we've got lights? And it took a lot of convincing and they said, well, yeah, we'll give it a try, but we don't think it'll be successful. We're not sure the kids will come out. And the first one we had, like you said, it was like nine deep all the way around the track. 
the stands were full of people. In fact, if, if I recall right, the final score was something like 8-6, and it didn't matter. It was just an exciting experience for the entire time you were there. And we said, well, maybe this is something that can get carried forward and become more regular environment for night games in it. And other than the Earl and AY doing it, it just never seemed to evolve for some reason. No, and it's a shame because it's funny. I got to – sorry, go ahead. Well, I was saying, like, growing up in the States, I mean, uh, the high school I went to, our high school stadium sat about 3,000. So that was the environment that I was used to, like Friday night or Saturday afternoon. It was high school football, and it was insane. So coming, moving back to Canada after I got out of the service, it was it was uh, certainly a different environment. And we were trying to do little things to instill that back in. And that's that's where I think, uh, and CAFA has been a very positive force in the nation's capital, is that it, it breathed air back into football again. No, I think, well, you hit it on the head, and I mean, this isn't to uh, take any shots or uh, unveiled shot or, or, sorry, veiled shots at, uh, at say, uh, scholastic admin or high school admin back in the day, but it's actually funny. You put a smile on my face because I, I actually, uh, I played in that game, the one you talk about, and, and it's not an exaggeration at all what you talk about. Like I've told people, um, it was nine deep around the track by halftime. You had almost every student from both school out. You had all the parents out, and it was and it was an atmosphere that you know, um, football people would probably strive and push and see what they could do with, but perhaps the administration just didn't see. No, um, and you're, you nailed that. That's exactly what was right. Is the coaches that were at the school, like Mr. Cook at AY, a former CFL yeah. player, he was he was engaged, but he had he had one assistant. Uh, you know they just didn't support the programs the same way we wanted to try to help them but we we couldn't come to an alignment it's unfortunate but we kept the game alive any way we could no and that's what you got to do at some point you got to you know you can either uh you know the the, the old saying you know bang into the wall bang into the wall bang into the wall or actually just walk into the door uh, and taking another or another entrance so yeah no it's interesting stuff and i smiles because i mean and i'll try if we uh next time i get to see you in person i'll try to find it beforehand because believe it or not i actually have uh if you if you have kicking around anywhere at an old bhs i actually still have a, a, a copy or two of that that high school game you talk about where you can actually see the crowd earl versus ay from all those years ago believe it or not so, yeah it was pretty cool no, very cool stuff. Now, talk a little bit about Canada and what you were and, and you talked about um, and you kind of mentioned just there when we were talking about one of the th- great the, the great things that NACAFA has done or what they've been doing and kind of, you know, um, raising the profile of football in Ottawa. You've been working with uh, well, with the Canada organization now. It's got to be and, and please correct me on my or, or give me my exact figures here, but it's got to be you know, plus 30 years. Uh, it would plus it would have been 37 this year. 37, yeah. So, I mean, it's, um, you've seen a drastic transition from, from not just, let's, I mean, obviously at the youth level, but just football in a general. You remember when you probably got involved in, in, in football, you know, your safety was, you, you went looking for that guy that was the master of headshots, yeah. uh, you know, just a violent nine one one shot to a game where that there's there's no place for that. Things have changed. 
where have you seen first? Uh, my first question, I guess, would be where have you seen some of the biggest changes at the at the NACAFA level from when you kind of first got involved 35 plus years ago to now? Well, I, and I think you I think you hit it on the head there as well. It, it used to be, um, I would say, a more violent game. I mean, f- football is, is a controlled violence game. I mean, it always has that nature to it. But it was um, edgier back then. Let me put it that way. And, and I think the thing that got it that way is kids kids do what they're taught to do. And kids do what they're led to do. And we didn't have a lot of uh, control administratively within the league at that time. So you, you had teams that were uh, carried a heavy reputation with them. Let's put it that way. And w- one of the first things that happened, I would say probably uh, mid eighties is the league finally sat down and created a code of conduct and then started to implement it and actually started to um, enforce it at the different levels. And then that's when you saw the whole tone change. You, you saw more clubs get created because more people were interested in playing. Um, you know, I said old thing that if you got a team that wins every game, every time, nobody wants to play them ever. So then you started to get a more balanced competition. And, and, and I, and I chuckle today with the heads up football and, and, you know, see what you hit program that we started. That's what we were teaching the kids to do when I started and we got away from it for some reason. And so we've kind of evolved back to where we were. I just wish we had done it a little bit sooner. Um, Right. Right. And the one thing I'd say is that, you know, in the years I've been in the league, I've met some really incredible guys and a few, a few women as well that were coaching um, that are absolutely amazing people and were had the same mindset. It was just every once in a while you'd run into uh, two or three that had a less than honorable intention, I guess I'll put it that way. But uh, our league, I mean, if you look at it, uh, I don't know how many times OFA has come to Encafa and, and said, well, tell us how you guys do it. Because nice. in certain areas of uh, the rest of the province, it's it's a struggle to get things sorted out with uh, their pro their whole process is just different than ours. And I think a lot of that has to do with the guys that led us here, guys like uh, Sid Gilcrest and and certainly Steve Dean, and uh, the gentlemen that were there before that. They they set the tone for uh, what the organization has achieved, and and I'm quite proud of the fact that it's. Uh, well-respected with, with certainly within Quebec and Ontario, if not the rest of the country. No, most definitely. And you, I mean, you see, and it's funny when I, st- when I kind of embarked on this and was talking to people, um, a lot of people say my age or, or younger, I'm on the plain side, less so the admin side, um, the impact that the league had on, on individuals and their lives um, and not not just on a football field because there's a lot of good story, great stories, Nakafa stories of guys going on to great things um, and various degrees or whatnot of success after graduating from their um, from their Nakafa playing days. But then there's uh, there's for every one of those stories, there's probably about another ten stories of guys that you know have gone on to great successful lives. Period. 
um, you know, where, and, and, and they tell very clear, they have very vivid memories and they, and they strongly equate what they did with McCaffrey, the structure. Um, it's funny because you talk about how the evolution of the game. And I always said, one of the things that drew me to it, and it was not something that I even think I realized at that age that I was craving. In fact, if you presented it to me kind of like on a platter and said, here, this is what we're doing, I probably would have resisted it. But it was the, the kind of discipline and kind of regimented structure that football had that no other sport had. And I've said this throughout the time I've talked to people. I, I was a, uh, what you call, you know, a gym rat or what do you call it? You're a, a sports rat in Canada because you throw in the hockey and that. But I, I loved all my sports, loved playing them, and I have fond memories of all of them. But my memories of my first football game still stick with me some, some 40 years later, simply because I remember it, it just wasn't like anything I'd ever done with the structure and the um, – and, and and how regimented it was and and it was just different and so all that to say that i do know that uh i've talked to a lot of guys in prep in, in kind of uh discussing whether the nakafa's 65th anniversary or whatever and it, it's amazing the number of players that um individuals such as yourself have actually uh touched in a very significant way not just as a football player but more importantly outside of it so it's kind of neat hearing some of these names and hearing you talk about the uh the evolution now on to the kind of player side of things where well it's actually first about involvement because you hear it throughout like the u.s and parts of canada how tackle football is is really starting to on a downward trend or enrollment is dropping um how have you seen it particular to Nakafa, like the enrollment from when you were first coaching, got into coaching, um, evolving to when you were in a president, uh, presidential type role to where you're, you're coaching now? How do you see the enrollment or the uh, involvement of uh, young athletes? It's, it's, been, it's been very cyclic and, and it's been cyclically driven by what the league was doing at the time. When we had weight limits, we went through cycles with that. When we had... Uh, Overage, underweight, we went through cycles with that where you would, you would have a down year or up year. Uh, I would say since the mid-90s on, uh, certainly with my experience with, with the Knights, at the five levels that we had playing, typically at any one year, you, you might have a uh, roster issue with one of them but the other four would all be full roster to the point where we were considering releases and that type of thing. Then the whole, after the movie concussion and other things that started to happen, that's when the enrollment really started to drop. And I've been very disappointed with football in general. And the one disappointment I have with Encapa is we've done a great job of really actively trying to take the concussion out of the game uh we've the program we implemented has been picked up by other people uh for safety of the player our protocols have been picked up and for the last few years at least at our, in our club we've been tracking them and when a parent raises an issue about that we can confidently say well we can tell you over the last let's say five years that we've been collecting data here's how many concussions we had Here's how long they lasted. Here's what the ramifications were. And, and really, instead of trying to defend the game because of all the bad press that comes out about it, you start to talk about the things you're doing to try to mitigate it. I think we're going through another one of those cycles right now is um, 
the younger levels are going to go through a transition in the next few years as we start to, to phase out uh, contact at the younger levels. Mm -hmm. To me, that's just another cycle we're going to go through. And then we'll get past that and we'll have the numbers back and we'll be playing a slightly different game for them to learn the game until they move up to the next level. But that's where NCAFA has always been, I think, one of the real leaders. And I would love to see us get back into that status of leading the information parade to say, here's what we're doing. Because I think football takes such a tough rap. We're not number one on the list. We're quite a ways down the list, but we're the one that seems to get targeted. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's the biggest thing. I mean, the kids are the same. They want to play. Um, you know, we, we have always had those momentary glitches with territory boundaries and funny little things like that. But ultimately, the kids will come out to play if you're there prepared to, to teach them. And that's all it takes. No, kind of if you build it, they will come. Well, that's a nice uh, – sorry. No, absolutely. I think, I think you hit that right on the head. Is, is, and, again, it's our, our game is sold by word of mouth. And the word of mouth continues on forever. I, I have had the extreme pleasure of coaching second-generation players, which I never envisioned I would ever do that. And I've had several of them now. And part of it, why they came out to play is because of how their dad talked about the game or how uh, their brother talked about the game. It, it wasn't about their initial interest in the game itself. It's, it's what they heard. And, and that's what we have to maintain. I completely believe it. Like I said, it's just uh, – I, I think it's, it's funny how you say that, especially in Canada. Hockey is king and everything else kind of falls uh, – uh, falls into line after that so it's very much a word of mouth game and i mean it's a nice little segue where um what you were how you're describing some of the second generation players and also how the players haven't changed so that'll kind of nice segue into my next question mm -hmm. um looking at players how do you find that they've uh first from an athletic point of view i mean these are and don't get me wrong we're talking about kids here are out to have fun so i'm not looking to to break them down as you know the evolution of the nfl player from 85 to 2015 yeah. you know what i mean but, but when i ask i mean how do you see the the even the standard of player or the athleticism or any change in the game the evolution you know what i'm trying to ask at yeah. the, in yeah. terms of the i i think what's happened now um parents are busy families are busy in the earlier days and say in the day that when you started playing and Leighton was playing, a lot of kids might've played two sports. They might've played football and they might've played hockey. And that was it. In today's environment, parents, again, for, for all the right reasons, want their kids to do everything. And so it's always an opportunity to try different things, but never getting connected to any one of them. And I think that, is somewhat confusing to, to the child. Having said that, I don't think the overall athleticism up until about three or four years ago changed very much. You're going to have kids that are really good athletes. Uh, it's going to be a Pat Woodcock that the minute he steps on the field, you're going, oh, yeah, okay, there's a guy. Or it could be as sweet as kid as we had named Russell, Russell Anchetta that it was all you could do to, to get him to pay attention to run one play, but he wouldn't be any place else. Mm -hmm. And those are the kids you have to go after and, and help them become more athletic to whatever degree that is. And if, 
if they play two or three years and get good things out of it, then you've done your job. And if somebody really succeeds, you probably had very little to do with it. So, <laughs> you know, it's refreshing. You put a smile on my, uh, on my face, uh, coach, just because you, you hit it on the head. And I think it's so often people lose sight of it where it's exactly that. I mean, everything outside of football or off of the field where you, where you can kind of gauge your success or if you've reached somebody as a coach, as a youth coach. And when you have that success on the sporting field, you, you know, I love the way you put it. I, I, you hit it on the head and I, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to steal that from you. I've never put it that way, but I'll probably, and I probably won't get credit, but the more success the kid has, uh, as an athlete, the less you probably had to do with it in the terms of it's really true. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. um, it, it is, uh, there's, there's genetics, there's this, there's that, there's that, that plays into it. And I mean, I know, um, not to kind of turn this into, uh, you know, patting myself on my back and, uh, on my, on the podcast here, but I know that a few times I've been contacted by kids that stopped playing shortly after, uh, I may have coached them within one or two years and, and, you know, their football, uh, days consisted of Nick Caff and, and then they went on to other things, but they still, you know, took some time three, four years later to send a note and thank their, uh, their individual coaches. Cause, um, you know, some of the lessons they had or the confidence instilled in CAF went, uh, went a long way in other ways. So I know exactly what you're saying. I love the way you put it. When you, when you, um, went, when you went to university and you played, where did you play? I was at UTEP to start, and then I went to Ottawa. So University of Texas at El Paso? Well, yeah. guess what? We have an alumni there right now who is a professor who played in CAF okay. football. So the loop is closed. I guess you led the way, and then Bill Weiss followed you several years later. <laughs> uh, it's actually funny that Bill's um, – because I, I, I'm coaching um, – well, when you and I would have first really met, because Curtis would have been younger. Yeah. And so you would have been coaching the younger levels. But when you and I first would have met was when um, Ken kind of took back – came back to restart the Bannon program. Yeah, you and, and I coached uh, together I with coached. him that – you and I coached together with him that one year. Exactly, yeah. exactly. That was my freshman year university. So I coached until I went off to school. Yeah. And um, funniest thing out there is that uh, one of the first quarterbacks, the two, like, and I, I kind of specialize in coaching quarterbacks right now. Um, and the first two quarterbacks I coached were uh, Bill Weiss and uh, and Dave Brady. Yeah. And they were two quarterbacks on that Banton team, so I know I, I know Billy and I, we or Bill and we still uh, we still talk. And it's a perfect example. He was a guy that wasn't a big, huge guy, very very smart uh, smart kid. Loved the game of football. Um, played until I think midget, and again he just you know wasn't uh, necessarily uh, meant to be six foot five, two hundred and twenty five. Yeah, he actually played uh, Sooners. He actually played one or two years. You're, you're right. You're 100% right. I forgot about that. And I apologize, Bill, if you do hear this. Uh, I apologize uh, immensely for shortchanging you. But yeah, but him and I have had conversations because he, uh, like I said to him, I, uh, I smile, but he was the first quarterback. Him and Dave Purdy were the first two quarterbacks I ever coached. Like uh, that was my first year at uh, university in that summer. And uh, Ken had coached me and, you know, made me the, you know, an offer I couldn't refuse. I he just asked in that Ken Charter way. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm in coach. Yeah. You know, so no, that's awesome. Um, uh, quick question now in terms of this, and I mean, I don't want to, you know, 
pit one era versus another or, or sound like that 95 year old guy that talks about, you know, I had to battle blizzards and, and uh, polar bears. But do you see any in terms of the, the dedication of the player or the mindset of the player for better or for worse? Um, have you seen a and I mean, of course, it's changes with the times. I guess my question is, have you seen a drastic change in the player or at the end of the, or at the end of the day or the core? Do you find it very similar to even 20, 30 years back? I, I think the um, the insight you get from the kids is about the same. What's what's changed? I, I said it earlier. I think what's changed is the kids never get a chance, at least the younger ages. But like you said, once you get to Bantam and Midget, you're pretty much made up your mind what you want to do. And then they self-guide themselves and have that dedication. But at the younger levels, uh, it's that confusion factor. I think, I'm, I think right. I'm pretty good at this, but I think I'm pretty good at that too. And somebody's telling me that I'm good at that, and I don't know whether I am or not. And they never really... I don't think get a good chance to get their feet on the ground to figure it out early. Um, and that, that's good and bad. I I'm all for exposing children to as much opportunity as possible, as long as they can take it all in. Uh, mm-hmm. And to me, that's the biggest thing. I'm, I'm, there will always be core families. I mean, we have, we have folks right now that drive in every practice from Kempville for their kids, kids to play. I mean, that, that dedication is out there and it still exists. Uh, I, I just think there's a, I think there's a, a lack of focus from the kids, not through any fault of their own, and a lack mm-hmm. of, of uh, attachment from the parents. We, when you say we had crowds like Dave Purdy and those ages, we the parents used to tailgate before games. I mm-hmm. mean, it it was a big, fun family thing. I haven't seen that probably in 10 or 15 years now. I mean, the parents get along and everything, but not to that same level that we had back early, late 90s and in, in there. It's, that has changed. I think parents just don't have the time. Uh, we're in this busy world, and there's a lot of, you know, latchkey kids out there. And uh, all of that adds to the, the fragmentation of what it it used to be. I'd love to see it the way it was, but I know that that's not that's not reality anymore. So we just have to live with within what we have and and make it the best experience as we can. No, that's it. I mean, everything is about evolving and change. I mean, uh, again, some good, some bad. But like you said, take what you have and, and make what you can with it. Well, really quickly, I had two last questions for you here. One's kind of put you on the spot. So if you don't think of anything off the top of your head. Um, please don't uh, don't worry about it. But is there any one now, like you said, you're entering your 37th year. Is there yeah. any one or two or a handful of stories throughout your coaching career without, uh, you know, without naming the guilty or whatever that kind of stick out in your memory or any encounter or any any kind of story like that that sticks out that you might want to share with us that you can think of? And don't worry if you can't. Well, I, I, I can tell you um, the first year I coached at Tyke, if, if any coaches are out there listening, if you want to learn how to communicate, coach Tyke. I went, I went from Bantam back down to Tyke. And your whole vocabulary and everything changes. So we had done all these practices. And the first game we played, we ran this little sweep play. And I'm telling little Johnny, there's the corner out there. That's the guy you got to block. Go get him. So we run the play and he runs right past him 
and the guy comes in behind him and makes the tackle. So he comes back in the huddle, and I said, you know, we're going to run the same play again, Johnny. That's your guy. What's your guy? He says, number 24. I said, yep, you get him. Second play runs right past him again. So the third time we're back in the huddle, I said, Johnny, I don't understand. I've told you twice that that's the guy you're supposed to get, just like in practice. I said, how come How come you're not getting him? And he you know, kicked his feet, looked up at the sky, and then looked at me just as honest as be and said, I don't know. <laughs> and, and I mean, I had I had no I had no response. I, I I couldn't figure out you know where the heck to go. Uh, and the and the one game, the very first game that I got to play against Sid Gilchrist was a coach for the Raiders. And okay. he and I worked together at Digital. He was he was actually my boss for a while. And the first game we played against each other. We kicked off, and his player took the ball right in the face mask. It went straight up, hit the ground, and now you've got 20 little kids standing looking at the ball. Now, this is tight, so there's coaches on the field, but they can't say anything. The officials can't say anything, but everybody on the sidelines is going nuts. Sid's yelling, I'm yelling, everybody's yelling. And then finally, one of the kids reached down and touched the ball. And as soon as he did it, both coaches pulled all the teams over each side and said, let me tell you about fumble. <laughs> it was like, you know, oh, we didn't get around to doing that. I mean, oh, yeah, okay. Okay, you start from scratch, and there's all sorts of little things. And I know myself, um, it, it's that, it's again, it's that uh, uh-oh moment where you see something unfold. And it, it's something common, but you couldn't cover off on everything with them because they're so brand yeah. new. And they're I, I, I get a kick because, I mean, not only are you coaching football, you're also teaching, let's be honest, um, kind of that whole walking and chewing gum and learning how to you know, yeah. Uh, work. Yeah, and God help you if know. a flock of geese come over. Oh, uh, forget about it. Absolutely forget. <laughs> well, it's funny because two things that I remember about was the first time I saw it, I'd been playing overseas and I came home and it was when Canada, actually, they were still practicing that Earl of March and they had added um, – it was when they just added a tight team. And so they dropped but and I, and I mean, I played mosquito, but there hadn't been, I think tight was uh, early two thousands or something like that when it came in or late, late nineties. Late, late in that time. Yeah. Late nineties. Yeah. And to watch these kids, I remember in the States, there's uh there's a, in the U S there's um, a, a chain of garages, like mechanic garages, pep boys and the yeah. whole thing on their side. The overheads the oversized heads of the characters on the thing and that's what these kids all look like with these huge helmets on that were helmets and shoulder pads yeah. too big for them having a blast running around and i remember stopping and just watching for about 10 15 minutes smiling because it was it's always uh you know struggling then one time i was working and i was um coaching in um in Gatineau and uh I was working with some of the uh the tight players in the uh in, in their spring um uh LMFO and I always equated this to I go the thing is it's just you're getting organized so I'm setting up something where I'm teaching them a contact aspect got the two little guys I've got a small enough group I probably only got about eight eight young guys with me and uh and I finally got the one to kind of the two to kind of do what we're trying to show them and start it. So they start and then I go on to the next two and no more than 20, I couldn't have been 25 seconds that I'm with the next two. I turn around 
and it's like a WWE match has started out and everything we just spent two or three minutes doing was out the window <laughs> and they were testing to see what parts of equipment made the loudest noise if they collided or what protected what yeah. it was uh no it makes you smile one um, of my first my experiences on, one of my first experiences of seeing tyke i was still coaching i think it was pb then and we were we were practicing at the earl and one of our first tyke coaches was larry cates Okay. And I looked over at him and I just, I just started smiling and he just smiled back and he says, yep, moving helmets. That's what they are. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's exactly, it's a good way to put it. I like that. Exactly. Uh, makes me smile. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have, I could be having the worst day in the world. I see a bunch of tykes in their football helmets and the way uh, coach Kate's for moving helmets and it does make me yeah. smile. So, uh, no, but here's my last question before we uh, let you mm-hmm. go, Bob. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of the future for Nakafa, where do you see? How do you see football, uh, the immediate future? How do you see the evolution of the game? Do you think uh, you know you're hearing a lot of uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Doomsayers or whatever or, uh, doomsday scenario? Well, sure. Football, I mean, think- football Canada right now and football in general, the, the way it's and and first of all, let me say right up front, I I agree with the roadmap that's in place. I don't have any issue with it. I've never because that's what was there at the time, the contact in the game that we started with was that's all we had. And we hadn't mm-hmm. learned other things about it. I I don't have an issue with teaching the fundamentals of the game like we do it, especially the six on six type that we were running it now. Everybody gets mm-hmm. to play, everybody gets to try positions, and you you learn basic skills of the game and you learn how to tackle, but not high impact. It's like, like, you know, you run the fullback through the two hole 10 times in a row. So you're doing a lot of open field tackling. So you're learning skills and it's in a controlled environment. And I know that we want to look towards a plan that in the next year or two, Tyke and Mosquito will be either, I forget what it's called. There's a flag and there's this other thing where they have the handle. I forget what it's called. The U.S. uses it anyway. It's a, a form of, of flag. I don't have an issue with that. Yeah, I, I don't have an issue with that. It's a great way for kids to use, uh, learn fundamentals, but still wear the equipment so they get used to because car- carrying the weight of it is one of the things they have to learn to do. But I really think we've just got to get proactive and get out and and promote and advertise ourselves in the right light and show that we're doing the right things and encouraging people to come and ask questions, have workshops where parents can come ask questions before they sign the kid up. Cause I know there are parents out there that have concerns. So let's, let's create a better story. Let's not wait for bad things to happen and then say, yeah, but that doesn't happen very often is start a story where we're out there actively saying, here's what we're doing to make sure it never happens to the best of our ability. And I think if we do that, our game's going to be fine. It, it will survive, but you got to get, you got to put the effort in off the field, not just on. No, that's, uh, you know, I, I, I I think you nailed it. I mean, uh, Hopefully, you know, we, we kind of keep trending in in this direction and people take it seriously because I think it's a great game. And I think, like you said, there's some uh, adjustments that need to be made. Um, we're, we're constantly evolving and learning and we're doing kind of uh, evolving based on the information we have, just like 
15 years ago, we were evolving based on the information we had at that time and 15 years prior and 15 years prior to that. So no, well, look time at the, will tell, at my the, friend. Look at, the, look at the equipment differences we have. It, it, and I think back when you were playing and Leighton and Kurt, when they were playing, and I look at the helmet that they were wearing then, it terrifies me <laughs> compared, yeah, compared to the equipment kids are wearing today. And the funny thing is, is those helmets that they would have been wearing were considered such an upgrade. That's the amazing yeah. thing, because I remember um, the ones that uh, I remember that Canada was one of the first, very first clubs. And, and like you said, now they'd be looked at as archaic, but one of the very first clubs to switch over to the uh, to bike after uh, yeah. with Riddell, because bike was the first air filled helmet before there. It was just the frame in the helmet. Yeah, um, you Suspension. weren't really you had the. Sh- suspension helmets they were scary <laughs> yeah no you had no like it just basically you had the shell like it was almost like it was a hard hat yeah it was just a football that was that had the same type of um i guess your protection concept as a, as a hard hat like yes if yep. i drop something on you this offers protection but other than that don't be surprised if this thing it breaks yes you know <laughs> But no, funny stuff. Well, Bob, I won't. I won't keep you any longer. I really appreciate you taking the time. I could probably spend a long time with you, uh, just kind of going down memory lane and picking your brain on some of these other things within CAFA. And I mean, on behalf of myself, my brother, the Matsukaris of the world, the kids that are playing now. I mean, I know you know this, but I just want to say thank you again. Um, it's it's very much appreciated the impact. Uh, that 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 coaches like yourself, administrators like yourself behind the scene, and then obviously people like you know the the, the rare breeds that yourself kind of doing both. Um, it, it it's impacted numerous numerous youth uh, in in the calf over the last thirty seven years, and and the cool thing that I think you probably know, and I'm just starting to figure out is the way it kind of pays forward in the sense that a lot of the young guys you coach, well I say young guys to make myself feel better, but a lot of the guys that you coached um we've gone on to coach um and, and it's kind of moving forward so on behalf of all of them bob i really I, I i thank you for what you've done uh within the CAFA, and um and again i appreciate you taking the time today and uh keep at it buddy okay thanks wayne it was a pleasure all right we'll talk soon you're welcome all right bye <laughs>